The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to another edition of HealthKick. I'm Tim Boreham. Today we're delving into the hot area of regenerative medicine. And to do this, I've got with me Dr. Ross McDonald from Sinata Therapeutics, which is a leading developer of stem cell therapies. Of course, Sinata isn't the only stem cell player in town. Uh, for example, we've got uh, the bigger Mesoblast, which is, which is also ASX listed, but uh, Sinata's got a few tricks up its sleeve of its own with its so-called Cimeris platform. One advantage is that Cimeris can replicate the cells without the need for a new donor every time, and this makes the process more economic and and, and commercial. Um, In terms of specific ailments, Sinata is tackling graft versus host disease, which is an immunity-based disorder uh, which affects uh, bone marrow recipients. And the uh, company, uh, I, I guess like a lot of other companies, it, it's also made headlines with a program for COVID-19 patients who are in uh, critical care. Um, so, yes, I've got Ross to tell me um, more about this. Uh, hi, Ross. We're living in, uh, we've been living in strange times, haven't we? Hi, Tim. Yes, definitely have. It's uh, certainly been an interesting few months. Now you were uh, just just looking at your history. You're, you're a biochemist, and you've got uh, more than twenty years uh, experience in in corporate roles. Um, one of them uh, was uh, with uh, Hatchtech, which was uh, looking for an elusive cure for uh, for head lice. Um, but uh, how did you sort of scratch that itch, so to speak, and and, and get into uh, stem cells in the first place? <laughs> oh, I like the pun. Well, look, um, Tim. My background has been in in. Uh, biotech and and big pharma for the last, well, really 30 years. And so I've mostly encompassed roles around business development, licensing, corporate strategy, uh, M&A. And so it's taken me across a number of different therapeutic categories. And my involvement with Hatchtech really actually originated uh, as a non-exec director on the board. And then we had need to fill the role as CEO. So I, I stepped in having been involved with the company for a long time. But Seeing the opportunity in the regenerative medicine space and the growth and development of stem cell-based therapeutics and cell-based therapies more generally was certainly a very, very exciting opportunity for me back in 2013. And certainly the um, crest of the wave of regenerative medicine and cell-based therapies is, is very much here and now. And we've started to see in the past couple of years the development of some very, very exciting cell-based medicines, particularly in the area of cancer with CAR-T-based therapies that are now very much at the forefront of certain types of cancer. And the revolution that is cell-based medicine where we've been able to harness the body's own repair and regenerative processes is is a very, very exciting time. Uh, how many approved therapies are actually out there, uh, Ross, for, uh, for stem cells uh, globally? In, in stem cells generally, there, there are quite a few, but in, in the particular area of mesenchymal stem cells, or MSCs for short, 
there are a smaller number. Uh, there's one in Japan and one in Europe uh, and a, a couple in Korea. But, of course, the, uh, the progress uh, through clinical development of quite a large number of MSC-based therapies means that within the next few years, assuming the, the final stages of development are successful and the FDA and other regulators are satisfied, then we'll see a lot more MSC-based therapies uh, hit the market. Great. And uh, with Sinata's uh, own therapies or, or own technology, um, where, where, where did the, uh, the IP sort of spring from? It came from the home of stem cells, the University of Wisconsin, which seems like an out-of-the-way location for cutting-edge technology like this. But um, as is often the case in the United yeah, in the US, there are centres of excellence and the, the world's leading centre for stem cell-based research is the University of Wisconsin in the capital of that state, Madison. In fact, um, it's pumped, that university has well and truly punched above its weight in medical research more generally. The, the drug warfarin, which many listeners will be familiar with, uh, is so named where the four, first four letters of that product, warfarin, W-A-R-F, stands for Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation. So named because, of course, that's where the drug came from. So uh, that's the home of our technology. The fact that an Australian company is now developing it really is just a, a quirk of history and the availability of capital at that time. Yeah, okay. I certainly didn't know that about uh, Warfarin. You, 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 you learn something new uh, every day, don't you? Well, there you go. <laughs> you, should, you should listen to these podcasts more often. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, now, 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 what's the key selling point of your uh, mesenchymal uh, stem, stem cells? Um, uh, it, 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 is it indeed sort of the replication? So, so it's sort of all about the, uh, the, the, uh, the economics of, of, of producing the cells? It, it is indeed, Tim, in a nutshell. Um, the the uh, challenge that many drug products face in ultimate commercialisation is not so much safety and efficacy, they're an absolute requirement, of course, but it's in the third key success criteria, and that is manufacture. And if you can't manufacture your product in by the truckload, then you don't have a product at all. You've, you've got a biological or medical curiosity, a very interesting piece of science, but you don't have a product. And in our view, the challenges associated with manufacturing living drugs like stem cell-based therapies are all in the manufacture of the product. Our technology provides a manufacturing solution that takes the manufacturing process from what is currently bespoke, reliant upon multiple donors and massive expansion of isolated M MSCs derived from those donors, such as bone marrow donors or adipose tissue donors, our technology doesn't rely on that. We, we took a completely different view to this, the, the 2.0, if you like, of stem cell manufacture, and we utilise a starting material called an induced pluripotent stem cell or an IPSC, the discovery of which resulted in a Nobel Prize in 2012, and that provides an unlimited starting material for the manufacture of the finished product thereby ensuring that we don't rely upon multiple donors, that is, people lining up outside the stem cell factory each day, happy, question mark, to donate their bone marrow. We, we don't require that. We don't require... I presume it's a painful massive. process. Indeed it is. It's, it's certainly unlike 
blood donation, which most uh, uh, you know adults can tend consider in their life and it's, it's certainly a very uh, easy process it's much very much more complicated to donate bone marrow um, and as you point out painful moreover it the reliance upon multiple donors results in in differences between the product and it's well established just as some people have blue eyes and some people have brown that mscs derived from different donors are very very different and of course one of the cardinal requirements for manufacture of a pharmaceutical product is to ensure that it is manufactured consistently. And that, of course, is impossible if your manufacturing process relies on deriving the starting material from different donors all the time. So that consistency cannot be preserved. The Sinata technology uh, avoids those problems because we start off with exactly the same material every time, thereby ensuring a highly potent, highly consistent and reproducible product, and thereby addressing that final challenge in commercialization of a pharmaceutical product, and that is how to be able to manufacture the product at large scale and, and consistently and economically. Okay, so you've got the large scale manufacturing or the manufacturing potential. Um, in, term, in terms of the application, uh, is it fair to say you're, you're sort of most advanced with um, graft versus host disease? Yes, so the, the secret of success, if you like, is ultimately demonstrating that however you manufacture the product, that product ultimately is safe and effective. So we've started that journey with a trial in graft versus host disease, which was highly successful. We finished that a couple of years ago, and we're now moving forward um, through a partnership with Fujifilm of Japan in the further development of that product for GVHD and Fujifilm are financing all of the uh, product development and commercialization activities. So that probably represents the most advanced at the moment, although shortly we expect to move into a number of other phase two trials across very much larger indications, particularly osteoarthritis, which really needs no introduction. And then, yes. as you pointed out in the introductory comments in COVID-19, the COVID-19 opportunity really arose from activities that we've been undertaking uh, over the past couple of years in areas of relevance more broadly than just the COVID indication, but which coincidentally, of course, has resulted in headlines uh, around the world that you know the majority of patients that, that die of COVID-19 die because of lung involvement and, and uh, complications associated with their, with their pulmonary system. And we have outstanding preclinical data in that type of, uh, of indication, specifically in acute respiratory distress syndrome and uh, uh, cytokine release syndrome and sepsis, all of which occurs in, in COVID-19 patients. They're, they're the things which basically kill the patients. So they're, they're, they're what kills the COVID-19 patients. Ultimately, yes, but it's not unique to COVID-19. These are problems that are experienced daily in intensive care units around the world, arising from completely unrelated causes of some patients who, who react very badly to influenza, for example, end up with ARDS. Others who inhale toxic uh, chemicals can end up with ARDS. And, and uh, how does your approach so, so, sort of differ to um, mesoblasts in that they've recently uh won some headlines uh, with their COVID-19 program? Well, it, it 
doesn't really differ in in the clinical program. Uh, we are both undertaking clinical research to determine safety and efficacy in specific indications, and that's of course a well trodden pathway of drug product development. So, in that respect, we don't differ. Where we do, of course, differ is in the process that we uh, respectively use to manufacture our products. Mesoblast rely on one particular type of manufacturing process, and we utilize the next generation technology, which we call Cimeris, as I explained before. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, and, and with and, and just j- just going back to, to Fuji Film, uh, Ross, the uh, uh, the company has quite a Japanese flavour, doesn't it? Um, in that there's a lot of interest in 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 Japan uh, in stem cell therapies, uh, particularly. Uh, graft versus host disease. Um, what, what, why is that so? Well, it really goes back to uh, Prime Minister Abe's uh, manifesto in uh, his first uh, tilted prime ministership. And it, it came from a recognition that the Japanese healthcare system is on a highway to hell, if I can quote a very famous ACDC line. <laughs> you certainly uh, In can. that they have a uh, one of the oldest populations in the world, an ageing demographic that represents major challenges to maintaining a high standard of healthcare. So lots of lots of old people and not many young people who can pay for the high healthcare costs associated with the ageing population in their communities. And Abe recognised this and saw the opportunity that stem cells represent for treating many of the chronic diseases that uh, we suffer as we get older. And uh, part of that platform was to fast track the approval of stem cell based therapeutics such that a manufacturer can bring the product product to market even as early as the end of phase two. Now that's a profound change in the regulatory framework and brings forward the revenue horizon for any company that successfully develops a product based on a stem cell based therapy. So of course the Japanese pharma industry, which is, is very progressive and among certainly the the top in the world, saw this opportunity and suddenly jumped in with both feet to invest heavily in regenerative medicine and stem cell-based therapies. And that, of course, led um, uh, Fujifilm to our door and also Sumitomo last year, who made a bid for Sonata at $2 per share. And uh, so, you know, Japan's pharmaceutical industry has taken a very, very active interest in this area, driven primarily because of those circumstances that their population finds themselves in and the economics of maintaining uh, a high standard of healthcare. It, it's just too expensive. And so the government realised an opportunity to bring stem cells to the market very uh, much earlier and therefore potentially make a difference to the trajectory of their of their healthcare costs. Yes. Now, it's interesting with Fujifilm that... Uh you were waiting for them to commit and, and there was a bit of a delay. And then the Suritomo, uh, another big Japanese uh, conglomerate, uh, comes along with that bid. Um, now, um, we're, we're, we're talking today, I guess, because uh, the takeover actually didn't didn't go ahead uh, or else you, you probably wouldn't be an ASX-listed company anymore. I guess the, uh, the whole episode showed that uh, there certainly is uh, takeover interest in the company and... I presume it remains a takeover target. Well, we're a publicly traded company, so yes, uh, we're, we're for sale every day of the week <laughs> at the right price. Uh, of course, um, and it sounds like uh, 
the uh, two dollars a share wasn't the uh, pr- wasn't quite the right price. Look, there were multiple factors in in that uh, decision, Tim, last year, and and price, of course, was certainly one of them. But it was more just a case of perhaps not being the right thing for the company at the right time, and and the the time that was being taken to progress it. You know, we had we were essentially on hold during that period um, as a public company and a, and the target of a takeover bid, uh, we are constrained in the activities that we can undertake. And that severely hampered our plans and and we couldn't allow that to continue for much longer. Obviously, you know, if shareholders ultimately decided that X dollars per share was a satisfactory price, then that's for them to decide. But we hadn't got to a point where we were comfortable to to get there and um, we decided to part company. We remain very good friends with Sumitomo, though, I should add. Yeah, yeah, and, and hopefully the two dollars sort of uh, eventually set, set some sort of a benchmark because um, your shares uh, have lost a bit of value uh, recently, haven't they? I think they're um, trading it well. Uh, suffice to say, so, sort of, sort of well under the two dollars. Um, so I'm just, I'm just wondering what sort of the likely catalysts will be and what 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 shareholders should be uh, looking forward to. Well, look, it is very frustrating for us because, as you point out, there was uh, that bid, a very real bid and a very legitimate bid at $2 a share. And and since then, the company has only gone from strength to strength. So fundamentally, we remain the same, if not a better company today than we were 12 months ago. And yet, you know, the share price is more than halved. So, of course, some of that's the COVID impact. But I think it also represents the emotionally charged nature of the small cap biotech space on the ASX that you know, investors sometimes lose sight of the fundamental strength in a company. And, and you know, yes, it's it's management's responsibility too to, to ensure that those strengths are put forward. But it is very frustrating when, you know, we close a deal with a major corporate partner uh, that results in uh, substantial potential revenues coming into the company, then paying for development of one of our products. So the, the ticks in the box uh, should uh, give investors confidence that you know there there are it's a great buying opportunity and certainly if you look at comparables between us and some of the other companies that that uh, we mentioned earlier uh, there there has to be value there at the same time we also appreciate that investors like to see catalysts and of course our uh, emerging phase two program will provide some of those catalysts and also potentially our corporate activity as well. And we have a very clear strategy to partner our technologies and the Fuji deal is one such example of that. And hopefully we will um, identify further opportunities to show to shareholders that, uh, that you know, the current share price really is, uh, represents a major buying opportunity. Yeah, and you, you recently raised, uh, I think, just over $8 million in a, in a placement and, and share purchase plan. Uh, the share purchase plan, I think, was uh, was well oversubscribed. Um, I, what are you putting that money towards? Is that is that basically the COVID nineteen program, or is it spread across a number of things? Yeah, it, it's it, it was certainly triggered by the the COVID nineteen opportunity, and I hate to use that expression in such a dire situation, but nonetheless, yes, but we we, uh, we know what you mean. Yeah, well, look, you know, we we got the best. MSC product in the world, and we had to have a seat at that table. Equally, we couldn't do so if the company was not adequately financed to ensure that what we started, we could also finish. 
And the worst situation for a biotech company to find itself in is to be halfway through a clinical trial and needing to raise capital, because at that point, it's got an ongoing commitment to finance the trial, but it doesn't have the data that is so important for investors to take stand up and take notice. So uh, really, we couldn't uh, expose the company to risk that we would get down a very exciting pathway with multiple phase two programs, including COVID-19, and then suddenly been needing to raise cash because the trial had gone a bit slower than we thought. We hadn't, um, you know, some other circumstance had arisen. And so the opportunity to raise capital was there. We did it and uh, we'll now apply that to ensure that our phase two programs uh, can uh, move forward as planned and we can accelerate them. Okay. And uh, when would uh, you expect the first uh, payments from Fujifilm? The, uh, well, we received $3 million US dollars cash last year in September when we signed the licence deal when they exercised the option. Okay, yeah, well, the, uh, the next payment then. The next payment will be uh, once they've completed the Phase 2 program and that is expected to get underway late this year. That we, we anticipate being a quite a, a rapid trial. It, uh, again, GVHD is a relatively rare disease, so the requirement for patient numbers is very low. Uh, we don't need to have recruit many patients into the proposed phase two trial so it uh, it should result in a very very quick turnaround again dependent upon fujifilm it's it's now in their hands of course yeah of course of course yeah great all right well look there's uh, obviously been yeah strong interest shown in the company yeah uh, as demonstrated by both Fujifilm and Sumitomo, and there's a lot for uh, for investors to look at, look out for. Ross, uh, thank, thanks very much for your time, and uh, great to chat. Thanks, Tim. It's always a pleasure to chat. Thanks, Ross. <laughs>